0: What's happening, everybody? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today's episode is from the National Disciple Making Forum from a previous year, and it features Jim Putman and Ariana Rimson. They both give us TED-style talks, and then sit down with Bill Hall for a discussion after the break. I found this episode super helpful personally as a leader of my own home group and also a transformation group that's home groups are gender mixed. Transformation is gender specific. I realized several things throughout this episode that I'm doing currently that are not the best practices for being a leader. So I really love this episode for that if you're somebody who leads groups or maybe you're in one and or maybe you're in a one-on-one discipling relationship you're going to get a lot out of this episode so get a notebook and ready to take notes before we get going here i want to make sure you know about something before it's too late the 2021 national disciple making forum just happened a few weeks ago if you missed it or if you were there but you want to go back and watch we have all the main sessions plus four main track sessions available with a digital access pass for $79.99 that's only available from now till December 31st of 2021. I got the link in the show notes so you can go check that out. All right, let's jump in and let's hear what Jim and Ariana have for us today.
1: You know, I too am excited about um, this discipleship movement that seems to be uh, taking root uh, in America, and I, I'm excited that that it's becoming something that's important. That uh, that so many of the conferences are talking about it, and so many different organizations are are uh, kind of popping up. And I'm so thankful for the guys who who never let it go, even when it wasn't the buzzword, when it wasn't popular. I'm so thankful to Bill, uh, who was instrumental in my life, and to uh, Robert Coleman, Dr. Robert Coleman, and and others. I'm thankful for those guys, that they just held on. But I, I do have some concerns about discipleship uh, becoming a movement in America a couple of, of those concerns might be number 1 that we don't have the shared uh, uh, a shared definition of what a disciple is what maturity in Christ is that's a uh, it's hard to have a movement when everybody's got a different definition Right? It's much like a team in the huddle in football. If you call a play but everybody understands that differently, it's hard to have a movement that actually works when you get to the line of scrimmage. So I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I'm also concerned about the, uh, you know uh, using the word disciple and discipleship and um, having an incomplete definition of spiritual maturity. So if we don't have a shared definition or we, we have an incomplete definition, then even though, let's say we get everybody on board, with a a shared definition, but it's not the right definition. We end up taking people to the wrong place. If if you're all together and you shoot for the wrong place, you still get to the wrong place. And so that, that concerns me. So as a church, and, and, and we're talking about uh, how do we find something that's simple enough that everybody can kind of embrace and, 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 uh, and just really punch down on a, on a simple but complete version. So at, at our church, we've, we've settled on Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. Uh, it's, we say it this way, in the invitation is the definition. And Jesus said to his disciples, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So he says, come and be with me. Come and follow follow me, and I'm going to make you into fishers' men. So we say it this way. A disciple of Jesus is following Jesus. He's committed to the mission of Jesus, but he's also being changed by Jesus. And this is really important because right now discipleship has often been—I mean, there've been there places and people that have cared about discipleship, but they've said discipleship is you going through a process of education where you learn the right answers and you you can you you know you, you understand the stories, you've heard the stories, you know the rules, and you follow the rules. And so they, they focus on this come and follow me part. And so uh, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to let you fill my mind with knowledge. And and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to understand that. And and that's good. That's a part of spiritual maturity. Or people have said not only that we we, we want to be committed to the mission of Jesus. So you're going to know how to share your faith. And you're going to you're going to um, you know use your gifts and abilities to lead worship or to preach a sermon or to lead a Sunday school class. So you're going to have a skill sets and and giftings and abilities. And and, and then you'll be mature you'll know the bible and you'll 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 be serving in some way and and again that's part of maturity you can see that in Matthew 4 19 come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men but oftentimes we leave out this centerpiece and it, it's really important to me that we get this centerpiece this this uh I will make you into something that speaks of process but make you into what? He takes you as you are. In that case, it was fishermen, maybe a tax collector. And you're going to become fishers of men, but there's this centerpiece. I'm going to make you into something. And it's really important we catch this if we're going to have the right definition of maturity. What's he going to make us into? He's going to make us into somebody who looks like Jesus, who's changed from kind of an earthly human perspective into somebody who loves like Jesus. One of, one of the things that Jesus said, he was asked, and, and Bobby mentioned it this morning, and you, if you've been in one of our sessions, you know this. Uh, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he, he as usual, he didn't answer the question the way they wanted it, him to answer. He said, and the second is like it, to love your neighbors yourself. But oftentimes, we'll stop right there. And we've missed something very important in that verse. He goes on to say, and all of the law and the prophets are summed up or hang on these two commands. In other words, everything written in the word up to that point, everything, is summed up in loving God and loving others. Relationship. The whole story of God is a story of a God who's all, he's never been lonely because he's always had the trinity he's never been lonely he created us in his image to be in relationship with him but not just with him with others because when God created the world he said it is good it is good it is not good it is not good what wasn't good for man to be alone man wasn't alone he was in relationship with God so God's saying yes you need relationship with me but you also need relationship with others I made you that way and if you, if you walk with me and you do what I ask you to do, your relationship with me, you'll continue to have a relationship with each other, but if you choose to disobey me, if you choose to rebel against me and step away from me, sin will come into the world, and it will break our relationship, it will also break your relationship with one another. And it will end badly in every possible way. But God, who is a reconciling God... Pursued us, and for all of the history, he's been pursuing us. Ultimately, he comes in the flesh. God, the the Son, comes in the flesh to to reconcile us to himself. And Jesus says, Let me tell you what that's all about. I I want you, as, as a disciple, to learn to follow me and follow the rules, but understand every rule that was ever given was because I love you and I wanna protect and promote relationship. Every rule is about relationship. Everything. When you, when you go out and share Christ with people, it's not so that you can earn your salvation. It's not so you can feel, you know, get higher up on the, on the church chart in, the, in your church. It's because you so love me after what I've done for you and you've been with me. You've seen my heart. You've seen my perspective. And I, I'm, you're going to start seeing the person, the, 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 the woman, the Samaritan that the, the, the Jews wouldn't even touch. You're going to see me go out of my way to go to Samaria so that you can see that I care about her. The woman caught in adultery, you're going to see I care about her. And if you want to honor me, me you'll care about what i care about you're going to be a person who follows me but understands it's all about love otherwise you strain out the gnat and swallow the camel you miss the whole point you're going to be changed into one who loves what i love i wait to return because i wish none to be lost and as you spend time with me you're going to this love with of of me and love of others is going to change everything about who you are and you're going to be known by this all men will know that you're my disciples and, and i know you can't do it on your own i'm going to give you the holy spirit and all of the, the power the fruit of the holy spirit is all relational fruit love for who joy peace with who patience with towards who it's going to change everything and so we did all that but then christians right away kind of messed the whole thing up which is why paul by the inspiration of the holy spirit has to write first corinthians 13. You can know all mysteries and speak in tongues of angels and of men, but you have not love. You're, you're a resounding gone. You're a clanging cymbal. You guys have fallen back into following the rules. You're fighting about, I like Paul. I like Apollos. You're fighting about how you take communion. There's lawsuits among believers. You, you take on the name of Jesus, but you're not acting according to the power of the Holy Spirit. You've forgotten. You can sell your possessions to the poor and give to whoever in need, but you can do that like the Pharisees do. So that everybody will go, look how spiritual he is or maybe I can buy off because I've sinned so much I can earn my salvation by giving more money. See, you can do the right thing with the right heart. It's still not about love. You can even offer your body the flames. You can become a martyr. The Muslims do that. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything if there's no love in it. You're nothing. Because again, spiritual maturity is To love. To love. Now, I have to say, this is really hard in America. It's really hard in America. This is, I have some concerns about a discipleship movement. Will we have the right definition? Will we be unified? I know this. Jesus said, "If John 17, if, you, if you'll be one, as I and the Father are one, then the world will know. I, I know there's a lot on this. I know that Paul says by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that you be of one mind and one heart. There be no divisions among you. I know a house divided against itself can't stand. We're going to have to not only have the same vision, but we're going to have to have a love relationship or the vision just becomes a nice idea. And we're gonna have to start making disciples, not converts, disciples who learn to follow Jesus, they are changed by Jesus, they are committed to the mission of Jesus, out of a love relationship with God, as as Shadonke said today, the gas for this whole journey, the thing that changes all of us, the the abiding peace that we we cannot do anything without is this prayer life with God and others that changes us so that we can become mature in Christ Jesus. It's all so important. But here's another issue I have, it's a little concern of mine, and, and it's become really prevalent in the, the culture we're living right now in America. Chad Harrington and I, and I just love him, we, we've been talking and we, we wrote a little primer that you're all getting called the death of discipleship, and I think this is especially prevalent today that we have to be concerned about this, we have to be thinking about this. I think the death of discipleship is pride. Pride. And here's the problem. We live in a culture that promotes pride at every turn. Even in the church. Pride. Selfishness. Ego. It's everywhere. We're We're all trying to climb corporate ladders. We're all trying to... We're all trying to fit into the world. We're all trying to live by different standards. You know, how do I have one foot in, one foot out? We're all trying, there's just this pursuing self. And, and, and we all think we should, our opinions are as valid as anybody else's. And it's a democracy. And we live in America first. And, and, and we should all be able to have an opinion. And when somebody disagrees with us, we, we get all upset. And, and it's coming from the Christian world too. Pride. Let me me explain to you how pride works. In Matthew 28, verse 19, you know the verse. It's a great passage. Jesus says, as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Remember he said that? Go, therefore, into all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember that? Let me tell you why discipleship in America is hard. And it could lead to the death of discipleship movement. Number one, when Jesus is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, in that context, he was saying to Jews, you're gonna go into a Jewish world that already killed Jesus. You're gonna go and preach that Jesus is the only way to salvation to Jews who don't believe that. And you're gonna go to the Romans and you're gonna go to everyone else who has their own set of gods. And you're gonna say Jesus is the only way I want you to go, but see most Christians don't want, because they're not submitted to the authority of the Lord Jesus, they won't actually go where it's uncomfortable. In fact, they actually want a Christianity where Jesus comes and makes me feel better and actually builds my nest. Actually, actually his job is to make me wealthy and prosperous and I want to go to a church where I hear what I want to hear. I don't want to be told that if I'm a follower of Jesus I have to deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow Jesus. We want Jesus to follow us like a lap dog. Come Jesus, come Jesus. Fetch Jesus. We don't go, we don't witness to our friends because they might not like us. You think that was that way 2,000 years ago? They might not be liked to the point of death. You think Shidanke likes? Uh, you, you know, he's kind of crazy. <laughs> but think about it, he's going, he's doing something to reach people that aren't going to like what he has to say oftentimes, and it may cost him his life. Yet we in America... We can talk about discipleship, but if we won't get uncomfortable and cross the line and make time in our life, we can't fit Jesus in to an hour and a half a week. You can't fit him in to a class and think you're making disciples. You have to change your life. The root word of discipleship is discipline. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, and we're living for an eternal home. And you cannot say, I won't go to Jesus and call yourself a disciple. It's the death of discipleship. But secondly, it's the death of discipleship when some people say, "I will go," but they go out to teach people. But there's some pride in all of that, even even how they teach and the way they live. It, 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 it's kind of like I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, you know, I have authority in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be a leader, but I'm actually going to use my leadership as a privilege to be used, rather than a responsibility to die. See, when we take on the discipleship role, but we won't love and shepherd and care for and minister and, and and the first become last and the servant of all and wash feet. See, then we have the position, but then, you know, just Jesus said to the Pharisees, when you make disciples, you make more a son of hell than you yourself are. Why? How? Because when you go out, In the name of Jesus, taking his name in vain, taking Jesus' name in vain isn't about not saying the Lord's name in vain like a swear word. It means when you put on the name of Jesus, you represent him. And when you don't represent him for who he is, people end up rejecting the wrong Jesus, thinking they're rejecting the right one. When you when you're proudly going around using your authority and position. To, to lead a church, and to do all these things, and it's about that. And again, we all struggle with this. I struggle with this. But when you, you use your authority to do something other than represent Jesus, who, though he was God, took on the very nature of a servant, took on human flesh, and even went to the cross, we're misrepresenting him. And that leads to the death of discipleship, because those who would follow us don't actually represent Jesus. So we make disciples, but it's not Jesus' disciples And then the mission doesn't get completed. But thirdly, pride kills discipleship when I refuse to follow. When when, when you go out into the world, Jesus said, Go out into the world, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. You see, when we go out into the world and we reshape the gospel so that they don't have to follow God's authority and they don't even have to follow a disciple maker's authority, they don't have to learn. We just pray the prayer, raise our hands. Everybody claps, they don't have to learn anything, and they don't have to be willing to submit to the Lord Jesus or to his delegated authority, then they don't ever change. It's like wanting to be a wrestler, but I will not submit to a coach or to, to anyone to have authority to teach me the actual rules. So we call what you're doing wrestling, but it's not according to the rules, and it's not really wrestling. You just called what you're doing by the name wrestling, and you, and you just created a new sport that doesn't look anything like the one it really is. It's the death of discipleship. And, and again, if discipleship is this process of following Jesus, being changed by Jesus... Being committed to the mission of Jesus, if that's what true discipleship is, and there's a changing process that goes in. And and discipleship is the process of being disconnected from God when you're spiritually dead, but reconnected to God, and then it, and then now as the Holy Spirit works in you, and you're growing, and you're maturing, and you're being reconnected to others. You're learning to rather than love self, or, and rather than take on the world's definition of love, which is all about lust or feelings. No, it's the act of the will, like God did to lay down His life for another. See. When people aren't discipled, according to Jesus' incomplete definition, it's the death of a relationship. It's the death of love. Let me, let me just close with this verse. This is 1 Corinthians 13. And, and, and you guys know, I already I kind of set it up, the church has been in the name of Jesus fighting about all kinds of different things, and, and he's already said, if I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have given the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessed to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Now I want you to notice, not only, this is how bad this culture has gotten at this time. Not only does he say love is, uh, it, love is like what it's all summed up. It's I mean, it's all that equals love. Now he has to actually define love because the devil loves to let us keep our words. He just changes their meanings so that they lose their power. So now what happens is he's got to define love. So listen to what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Notice this. It does not boast. It is not Proud. It is not rude. It is not self seeking. You see, pride means that I won't go. Pride means when I go, I'm I'm actually doing it so that I can gain status or position or I get to use my authority in the church world to, to have somebody that's my servant. Pride says I won't follow. But God hates pride mostly because he's a God of relationship. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble because pride kills love. And God knows how he made us and he loves us. He knows we were made for it. We need love like we need water for our body. Your physical body needs love and family, and nurturing, and your spiritual life, you need love, you were made for it. And when pride sets in, it kills your ability to have it. And so we go around talking about Jesus, but we're not experiencing the life of Jesus because we've created a recipe of the faith that doesn't satisfy our soul, so why would those out there want it? Pride kills discipleship. And we, we have a lot of people that call themselves Christians right now. You know, in my town, it's uh, I, on, one, on their bumper sticker, too. They, they got one that says that uh, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. That's pretty cool, right? Next to it says, if you want my gun, you'll have to pry my cold, dead fingers off of it. Pride. I'm part of the Big C Church, so I don't have to be under the elders of any church. I don't have to be accountable to anybody. I don't have to. You know what that means? You accepted kind of Jesus, but you have rejected His authority in your life in the body of Christ. Let me say this: and you can't be give people what you don't personally have. So, let me ask you this: How many of you in here are struggling with pride in pretty much every area of your life? Let's go. Put them up. The rest of you are liars. It's time to die to self and let Jesus rule. And when that happens, it changes us. It changes what we live for. It changes everything. Pray with me. God, thanks for the night. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us that you gave us a light in the darkness. You gave us a path to follow you came down to show us you reconciled us and you even gave us a ministry of reconciliation you made us peacemakers because of what you've done for us and so we come to you again humbly thanking you for the forgiveness that you've given us and ask you to continue to grow us so that we look more like Jesus it's in Jesus name we pray father amen
2: second because I came up to the steps and you can't really see them and I was like Lord please don't let me fall that would be horrible but I didn't fall so praise God. Um, I am so excited to be here. I am so excited that you are here and that you want to grow in disciple making that you have committed your time for these two days to learn more about it and that you want to take this back to your churches and your communities. I love that. And so I just thank you so much for doing that. Um, One, that you want to join in with what Christ has told us to do. He's commanded us to make disciples. This isn't something that man came up with. This is something that God came up with. Does that make sense? And so I think one of the issues um, that you have to deal with when you talk about discipleship is submission. And I think we want to start with realizing that we first had to submit to Christ, right and so jim shared about how christ called his disciples to follow him so we are first have to make that decision and say i want to follow christ i want to submit to his leading in my life and then once i do that then i submit to the call that he has on my life and i believe that christ has the same call for everyone's life which is to make disciples now the sphere of influence that he has for you is different That might be in the workplace, that might be in the home, that might be in a business, but we still have the same call, and that is to make disciples. One passage I looked at is James 4, 7, It says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So that is the command that he calls us to. He says, I want you to submit to God. And so when we do that, then we say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Because now that I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you and I'm in tune to what you're telling me, now I will go where you tell me to go. Now, when I think about discipleship relationships, um, I think that one of the first things we want to do is that we seek to execute the commands that are already in Scripture, that i'm not trying to make something new i'm not trying to give you my opinions or my traditions but rather i'm taking you back to god's word and i'm saying okay god has said submit to him thus that's what i want to help you to do that's the whole desire of a discipleship relationship is i want to help you to submit to what god has called us to do all of us not just you but me also and so i want to walk with you so that we can learn how to submit to christ together that makes sense that's a relationship It's not me saying, okay, you do all those good Christian things, you do all that, you go to church, you do this, and I'm just going to sit back and, you know, keep record. No, we're doing this together. Does that make sense? And so when I think about um, doing that and we're seeking to educate and and execute the commands that are already in scripture, the other thing we're doing is we're encouraging women to not yield to the um, commands of the enemy. Because God is telling us to do something, but then as you all know, Satan is telling you to do something too. And so at the same time that I'm saying, man, this is what God is calling you to do, I'm also saying this is what God has not called you to do. He has not called you to give into your flesh. He has not called you to be rude. He has not called you to be proudful. He has not called you to do those things. So you need to resist the things that the enemy would want you to do. And I think there's three ways we do that. First, we do that in our teaching. So when we have lessons with women, we're going back to God's word and we're saying, okay, here's another command. Here's another thing that God teaches us. Now let's look at how we apply that to our lives. And then I'm also showing her, okay, you have shared these things with me that you're struggling with. All right, let's go to God's word so that you can learn how to resist those things. So my job right now is I'm a director of a women's recovery program. Let me tell you, I would have never, ever, ever thought that I would be in this position. Like I said in the video, I thought I was going to be working for the WNBA. Um, I was just ready for that. And it was so funny. The year I moved from Chicago to Memphis, we got a WNBA team. And I was like, okay, I'm going to work for Chicago Sky. Here we go. And the Lord was like, you're going to move in August before the basketball season starts so that you're not even tempted. Like, that's not even going to happen for you. But I get to see lives transformed, and I get to do a different type of rehabilitation where I get to see souls rehabilitated and hearts changed and and people learning how to deal with the brokenness in their lives in a different way. Does that make sense? And so we do that through the teaching. We also do that through the advice we give. Every advice we give to a woman or man has to come from God's word. My pastor, um, when I was in college, and I accepted Christ when I was 19, so I was a sophomore in college, my pastor would always say, what's your burden of proof? So, you know, us college students would say, well, we heard that you're supposed to do this and the Bible tells you to do this and I feel like this. And he'd say, okay, what's your burden of proof? Show me in the Bible where that says that. And we would say, uh, well, well maybe it doesn't say that. Maybe it's, and he's like, no, you've got to know it. If you're going to go and tell other people and you're going to make that to be your, your conviction, then it has to come from God's word. And so I take that on that I'm not going to give you any advice if it's not out of God's word. The next way we see it is it's done through our lives. And so I can't tell you to follow Christ if you don't see me following Christ. If you don't see me making decisions for Christ, if you see me making decisions out of my flesh, then you're going to imitate what I'm doing. Does that make sense? And so you've got to um, realize that if I am teaching them to execute the commands of the, of the scripture, then I'm also teaching them to resist what the enemy will want them to do that or what to do. And, but I'm doing that through the teaching, advice, and my life. So then I kind of thought of a, um, acrostic, and I like to do that. So um, it helps me to kind of stay on task and remember what God is doing or, and what he wants me to share about. So the first one is S. It is, so you think about the word submit. So in order for us to submit, we have to have the same mind. That doesn't mean that we exactly think alike. It doesn't mean we're a carbon copy, but it means that we have the same foundation. We have the same goals. Does that make sense? All right, and so it says in Amos 3.3, do two men walk together, oh, go back, Okay, there it is. Okay, I can't, look at that. Uh, Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? And so if you have not said, okay, I want to disciple you because I want you to be able to walk with Christ wholeheartedly. And they're saying, I want you to disciple me because I see how you walk with Christ and I want to walk with Christ like that. Does that make sense? So that's the same mind. When we come together and we say, okay, we're both agreeing on this same thing, that this is what we're going to do that this is the purpose of this time. It's not to try to make you look like me. Rather, I want you to look like Christ. And they're recognizing that I am wanting to look like Christ, and I'm wanting to bring more people to Christ. And so we've got that same mind. We're committed to that. We're both believing in the gospel, but we do not have to agree on everything. I was um, listening to some friends... We were talking about discipleship, and and one friend was sharing how she heard of a story where a guy told another guy that he was discipling, he said, you need to walk like me, you need to talk like me, you need to dress like me. And I was like, ooh, where is that the Bible? Like, where is that? Because I miss that. I've read through the Bible, and I have not seen that. That is someone who is leaning more on their ego and they're wanting to be fed, they're wanting to feel like I really matter and people care about me and look how good I am, that is pride. That is not out of God's word. That does not bring any glory to God. He has made us all different for a reason. And so I don't need to look like you and nor do I want you to look like me. He made one Ariana Remsen. That's it. Does that make sense? All right, the next one, the you. We need to understand what discipleship is. So when you invite someone and you say, I would like to disciple you, or they come to you and say, I want to be discipled, you first got to lay down the ground rule. We've got to recognize what it is you're asking for and what it is that I'm able to offer. So when I think about discipleship, I look at Luke 6, 39 through 45. And I'm not going to break down the whole thing, but I'm just going to read a little bit of it. It says, and he spoke a parable to him, to them, a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So the first thing is when we understand what discipleship is, is we're understanding there's a relationship between a teacher and a student. That you tell this person that I am taking on a role as a teacher. And I'm not taking that on lightly. I'm going to be in prayer about that. I'm going to be reading scripture. I'm going to be asking God to lead me. I am not taking this just lightly. I recognize that I'm taking on a huge role in your life. And then they're saying, I'm allowing you to teach me. So thus, I'm going to become a student. I'm going to submit and allow you to teach me and allow you to to train me, allow you to correct me because I want to learn from you. And so we get that first understanding. And then we recognize that. If we kind of go down a little bit to... Verse 43, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from the briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And so the desire is that I want to help them to bear good fruit, And if they're seeing that good fruit in my life, then they're going to want to see that good fruit in their lives. And so they're saying, yes, I will be a student because I want to see myself flourish for the gospel. I want to see myself become a teacher so that I then have a student and then make that person a teacher and they have a student and we just continue to go on. But if you take on that role and you allow pride to step in, then they feel like they will never be at your level. They feel like they will always be a student. They'll never be able to disciple someone else. Does that make sense? But what I do in my discipleship groups, I tell them in the first week, I say, I'm meeting with you for an end goal. The end goal is that you are going to disciple someone else. And so when we get to about two months, when we're about to end and I do it for about a year, I say, okay, is there anyone that God's been putting on your heart? Who's on your radar? And it's usually at that time, I'm not teaching any more lessons. They're writing lessons and they're bringing them to our time and I'm taking notes because now I'm becoming a student of them because I want them to realize you can teach me too. And so by the end, they say, okay, I've got this young woman, I'm meeting with her. And I'm like, okay, now I would just be a resource for you. But sometimes people just get so comfortable with having people follow them that they're like, I don't want to make them strong enough because then they'll leave. Does that make sense? That is selfishness. Like, that, they're not your children. They're not your little puppets. I'm sorry, I'm about to get on a... But they are not. They are disciples of Christ, not your disciples. I'm just going to say it like that. They are disciples of Christ, not your disciples. They did not come into this world to follow you. Like that. Okay, let me um, go to my next... I got seven minutes, Jesus. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the fruit that comes from this should be humility and not pride it should be humility and not pride the third one b is boldness and this is in the form of confidence that says that i am confident that god has called us to make disciples i'm confident that this word is true i'm confident that that discipleship will transform a life thus i'm going to enter into this relationship with you i'm not confident in myself I don't feel adequate, I never feel adequate. If it's not for Christ, I can't do this. And I've been meeting with women since, let's see, I accepted Christ in 97. So right after college, it was probably about 2001, is when I first started discipling a girl on my own. And even from that time to now, I still feel inadequate. I'm still saying, Holy Spirit, if you don't show up, this is just going to be us having coffee together. Like, you need to come in and you need to tell me what is going on in this woman's life. I need discernment. While she's talking, I'm praying. Like, I have no idea what to say, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Tell me something. Tell me, tell me a verse. You want me to pray? You want me to just sit quietly? Like, I'm constantly depending on him. I am never going to depend on myself. And, and I've seen the times when I've done that. The Lord has made it where the girls don't show up. I'll have a morning, and I'm like, well, I didn't get a chance to prepare, so we're just going to pray through this, and I start getting text messages, I'm sorry, my car, I'm sick, and the Lord's like, you will not, (laughs) you will not, we're not going to have them come over, and you're not spiritually ready to meet with them. Does that make sense? And so that boldness comes because I recognize that I have to be dependent on the Lord, but I'm confident in what God has said, I'm believing what his word says, I'm not believing in my abilities. Because I truly believe that discipleship will transform lives. The next one is M. We mutually submit our rights to one another. So it's a mutual submission. It's not just you're the student, so you only submit and I don't have to submit. No, we both submit. So you correct me just as much as I correct you. You tell me that, you know, Ari. Um, the way you're talking about your cousin right now, yeah, that's, that's not really right. Or the way you dealt with that issue, mm, not really good. Or you're not really trusting God in this situation. Like I love when a girl that I'm meeting with can do that with me because then I know that we've got a real relationship where she's like, I trust that I can be honest with you and you're not going to get upset and you're not going to get all in your feelings that I could just be honest with you. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. That was a blind spot. I didn't see that. Does that make sense? So we mutually submit to one another. Uh, We allow them to correct us as much as we correct them. Um, and, And you think about if you don't mutually submit, then what happens is this unhealthy relationship happens, which basically is you have taken this authoritative role in their lives, and if they don't match up to it, then they feel inadequate rather than me saying i have authority in your life i want to say let me al- allow me to have an influence in your life allow me to persuade you to choose something different because the only one who has all authority is who jesus. jesus he said it he has all authority in heaven and on earth thus i don't have any authority does that make sense i you allow me to have an influence in your life or to persuade you, but God has all authority, not me. Is this good? Submit, okay. The next one, I, invitation. You are inviting them to submit to you and to imitate you as you submit and imitate Christ. And so there has to be a relationship there where you can actually invite them. So you've got to know some some things about them. I've got to know their name. I've got to know what they like. Um, I remember one conference that my friend Tiffany and I came to. um, It was a discipleship conference, and we were talking about, you know, what the Lord wanted to do at our church and how we wanted to start discipling more women at our church. And there had been a woman on my mind, and I had been noticing her at church, and I noticed how she served, and I noticed how committed she was and how she was always there and I was just like Lord is this the woman that you want me to meet with and so while we were at the conference I texted her and I said I don't know what's going on in your life right now I don't know if you're interested in this but I would like to know if you would like to meet up and talk about discipleship and she texted me right back and she was like yes I have been wanting this I will be committed I will be there and we have been meeting for over a year now and she is on it and now she is leading a small group at our church with another woman And it's because I got to know her and I watched her and I knew her name and I had her phone number. Thus, I could invite her into my life. Does that make sense? So you start with those basic relationships, talking to people, getting their numbers, saying, how do I have a relationship with you? Then you invite them into that discipleship relationship. Now, the last one, this is a thing that is so funny how the Holy Spirit works, because Jim and I did not talk about our talks at all. But what he shared is the last point, is the T. This is a thing that will break up every relationship. It's the temptation, and it's the temptation to have pride. Pride will ruin, ruin your relationship. So just like the passage I shared in the beginning, the James 4, 7, it said, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So on the one side, you're submitting, but on the other side, you've got to resist. And the main thing Satan wants to use in our relationships to destroy it is pride. So the way pride looks, or the, the way you kind of see pride in a teacher is they start to think that I have all authority, that you have to look just like me, that if you don't follow all of my rules, then you're messing up, and that's pride. Another way that looks at is if you think about a woman who is not strong emotionally, or a man who's not strong emotionally, and then that discipleship relationship serves to meet their emotional needs. That makes sense. And so I don't feel good about myself. I have, um, or I'm just saying I don't, but I, let's say I, I don't feel, I, I do feel good about myself, okay. I was like, hold on, Back. Okay, let's say someone does not feel good about themselves and they don't have a good identity about themselves and thus they enter into a relationship and this girl is telling them, you're so awesome. I'm so glad you're, you're mentoring me and their head is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're just like, I am just the best thing since sliced bread. I, just own the world I can do all things and Lord's just like that is not what discipleship's supposed to do does that make sense and so you've got to get to a point where your identity is complete in Christ not in anyone else not in the accolades of anyone else not in the affirmation of anyone else you've got to know who you are in Christ before you can really enter into this kind of relationship because if you don't then it's going to become unhealthy does that make sense Now, on the side of a student, pride looks like one who is resistant. One who says, I, I'm, I'm constantly rebellious. I don't want to listen to what you have to say. I don't want to do those things. I don't want to learn these things. I think I know the best thing to do. That's what pride looks like in a student. And so I had that example in my life. I had a young woman that I was meeting with when I was on staff at Downline. Um, and and she had known Jesus. Um, I knew her from camp days. So I knew her when she was a teenager. And, and we were meeting, and it was her and another woman in the group. And so the, one, the other woman was committed it she was come with her memory verses and bible and everything this other girl she was like oh, i don't really want to do this i already know this stuff i've already done this i've already done that so i, I kept going for a little bit and i was like okay lord maybe maybe she's gonna change around maybe she's gonna get it. And one day it was just her and i and i'm listening to her complain and say i don't really want to do this i'm tired and i said you know what sis this isn't working and that's okay I will be your sister in Christ, but I've got other things I could be doing at this time. So let's just hang out another time. Go ahead and get your stuff. And I, this is a true story. Get your stuff. Let's go. And I walked into the door and I said, I love you, but we're not going to do this anymore. Because the pride in her was like, I don't want to submit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to constantly buck everything you tell me. And my thing is, I've got too many other things going on in my life. And there are other women who want this, thus I would like to give my time to them. You know, there's a phrase called, you don't carve rotten wood. So if they don't want it, then you say, okay, you go ahead. You go do what you want to do. I'm good. And when you do want it, then you can come back. Does that make sense? I'll always be here. And her and I are still in great relationship, but we never went back to that discipleship relationship again. Does that make sense? So, in closing, to submit to one another, we do this out of oneness in mind. And so, we first have to agree of what we're doing. Um, we we understand what discipleship is. We understand that we are bold because of what Christ has said, not because of who we are. We mutually choose to submit to one another, ask of the Lord. And then we start this relationship by invitation. And lastly, we watch out for the temptation of pride. We ask God constantly, Lord, is there any pride in my heart? Am I doing anything? Am I saying anything that doesn't line up with you? And if it does, please reveal it to me.
0: I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at Discipleship.org. It's our Discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple-makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today.
3: Well, this is going to be easy. (laughs) These are the two of the easiest persons to love in all the world, Jim and Ariana. And uh, I've known them for several years, spent good time with them. And I know they have a lot to share. They were so good, weren't they? So you guys were talking about pride, temptation, and how pride kills discipleship. And I kind of want to just start with a question to each of you that pertains specifically to the kind of ministry you do. And so I'm going to start with you, Jim. Uh, Do you think that in your church, uh, what are some of the ways that you see pride specifically damaging or sabotaging people's lives and keeps them from getting to where they need to be in as far as maturity because i know maturity is a very specific and important thing to you
1: yeah um well pride gets in the way in all kinds of different ways i don't let you get to know me uh i hear that a lot from people because i've been hurt which is really pride in the sense that i'm going to protect myself, I'm not going to let you in pride when I say pride, i don't mean it, it it's always uh, i'm great it's it's being self absorbed mm-hmm. so being self absorbed thinking about yourself constantly um, I, I like i don't know who said this, but i I think humility is not thinking less of yourself it's just thinking about yourself less mm-hmm. and, and so Pride says, I won't let you get to know me because you might hurt me. Or um, uh, I won't follow, you know, I won't surrender, I won't submit. Pride says, I know better, my gift is more important. Pride says, I love my music, I wasn't fed today, you didn't shake my hand, you didn't call me when I was gone. It's just this constant empty vacuum that says, I'm, I'm in the room, and I'm the most important. And, and when that happens, it means I won't follow. means that I won't, um, I, I won't let you know me.
3: Mm-hmm. How do you practically, how, how do you address that uh, as
1: far well, as a pastor? Yeah. I think uh, first you have to do it relationally because a lot of the conversations, a lot of the, the hurt, or a lot of the things that are in a person's life that causes that are based on hurt, pain. Mm-hmm. They're deeply rooted. It's not just a behavior. They stem from something. And so first, um, I might get irritated at the behavior, but I have to go, okay, what's happened in their life? And the only way I can get to know what's happened in their life is if I start to build a relationship. So now I know I can come to learn what's really going on, but I also now earn the right through loving them and encouraging them and being curious about them in all those other ways. I now earn the right to have that conversation Uh, that they need to have about moving from self- being self-absorbed and about you know all that to moving and growing and again some of that happens naturally as as you talk about their identity in Christ and who God made them to be and what they and they and they have somebody pouring into them that wasn't there before they do start to grow as the Holy Spirit does work the word of God shapes their mind but again if I don't have relationship with them I can't know what's really going on I just know the symptom of the problem not the problem and I haven't earned the right to speak into it
3: okay uh, Ariana, as I, as you were speaking, uh, the question that I kept thinking to ask you was when you're working with people in the context in which you work with them and uh, with the problems that they face, uh, do you think that broken, there's brokenness in people that's a bad brokenness, mm-hmm. and then there's a good brokenness? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do those interface? I mean, how do you, is it an do people come to you with an excuse for why they can't change
2: yeah yeah um so I feel like we have a a a different type of women that kind of walk through the doors so you've got the woman who is going to blame her family is going to blame her boyfriend is going to blame her husband is going to blame everyone else for her addiction And then you've got the person who's like, it's me, I'm horrible, I can never change, I'm the worst thing ever, I will never get better. Um, and so when we deal with both of those, it's, it's funny because it still is pride. It's like, I don't, I'm not going to accept any responsibility, or I'm so horrible, I'm so this, I'm so that, so everything keeps coming back to them, and granted, yes, you need to accept responsibility, but that you also have to recognize is that the Lord is going to redeem you if you would give him a chance, if that makes sense, and so, um, One of the things we deal with is when we talk about pride to the women, we we try to bring it up when we see their interactions with one another. And we're like, okay, well, you said when coming in that it was your dad's fault that you were like this or your mom's fault. But I'm seeing you interact with other women. Your mom and dad are not here, but you're still (laughs) acting like this. Uh So that's probably something in your own heart. So we try to get them to really look at their own heart. Um, I constantly go back to Mark 7, and I say that everything that you're doing is coming out of your heart. So you can blame everybody else, but that stuff's already in your heart. And so when you're lying and you're gossiping and you're thinking of how you're going to hurt somebody and, and how you're going to hurt yourself, all that is coming out of your heart, and that's pride.
3: Well, it, when it comes to you know, one of the themes that I've heard you speak about uh, over and over again is uh, not allowing excuses uh, to you know, give them an excuse to not move forward. In other words, you're not providing a support group for them, so that they can need support all of their life. Right. That you have some higher standard that you're trying to get them out of that.
2: Yes, yes, um, and and we we want them to see that. With Christ, all things are possible. Um, we want them to see that they need a community. And so, but we want them to not be codependent on people and feeling like, well, if I don't have this person, then I can't make it. But it's like, you have Christ. And so you've got to recognize that he's going to be with you forever. And then he gives you a community of people to help you. But there's there's no room for us to um, make excuses if Christ says that he redeems. If Christ says that he sets us free, then he does. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that with my whole whole heart God says this word whom the son sets free is free indeed so I believe he will set you free but you've got to believe that And so I keep preaching and teaching the same thing over and over again. And so when the excuses come up, then I say, okay, if you didn't have that excuse, what would be the next excuse? Because there's always something else. It's like, just take responsibility and say, yes, I messed up. Yes, I did this. And then we can move on. But we're going to sit in this office all day if you keep (laughs) coming up with something else and something else. So I just don't don't think.
3: I I mean, Jim, do you? It seems like many Christian leaders don't very expect very much of their congregations mm. that they kind of let them off the hook mm. and I remember um Robert Coleman uh, I was having a conversation with him one day and he's, I said Dr. Coleman if you could say one thing to the American church the average person in the church what would you say and, and he said I would want to ask them what is your excuse for not obeying the Lord's command mm. to make disciples mm. And so, because you are, have made maturity such a big issue in your writing and in your practice of life, uh, can a person be a mature Christian and not reproduce? Mm. Well, I heard you say two things.
1: You said, why do pastors let their people uh, off so easily? Yeah. I don't think pastors know their people to know mm. whether they're getting off easy or not. Mm-hmm. Mm. When when I don't know the people other than surface and I preach a message, I have no idea whether they're doing something or not. So yeah. you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, in maturity, it, unless you are walking with someone like Jesus walked with his people. I mean, when Jesus would would teach, it was it was in response or in view of his disciples all the time. So when he he taught on, he would be first, must be last. It was in response to what he was seeing his disciples do, and then he held them responsible. When a pastor goes into his office for 20, 30 hours a week to to work on a message, goes to a few meetings, he doesn't know where his people are at, Mm -hmm. right? So um, it'd be hard to hold somebody responsible for something when you don't know. On the other side of what you were saying, I I think, I mean, statistics nationally say that most Christians are more biblically illiterate than they've ever been. So number one, they don't know the word. Uh, I think pastors are doing more storytelling from outside of the word because they want to attract people. They want to be motivational and, actually not motivational, inspirational. Mm -hmm. So um, they, they want to shape the message to the people they're trying to reach. And reaching them is as simple as saying, you know, you can have your, God wants you to be prosperous and wealthy and wants to follow you around. And so I don't know that in a lot of places the word's being taught. Uh, The people aren't reading it for themselves. Uh, They know what Christians say, but they don't know what what the word of God actually says to be able to test it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so I I would say that's probably
3: the biggest issue. Well, I'd like for each of you to answer this question, and that is... um, how is authority and accountability, this is a big issue, it's something that, that Christian leaders and the Christian congregates really shy away from, and that's holding each other accountable. Mm-hmm. So in your, both your cases, I guess I'll go with you first, Ariana, what, what is the most effective way to develop a trust relationship with a person so that they'll drop their guard and let you into their life and you can uh, hold, and they, you know what's the greatest power of holding people accountable?
2: Yeah. Um, well, when I think about like discipleship relationships, I think transparency. Um, one of the first things I do is we share our stories, right? And so I'm sharing everything that I feel comfortable with sharing at that time. And then as we continue in this relationship, I'm sharing even more, and I'm sharing even more to the point where I'm saying, okay, if you go out and share this, it's going to be really bad. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need to know that I can really yeah. trust you right now. And so then I I feel like once you've gotten that kind of um, relationship going, then there's that accountability that says, okay, I'm sharing my sins with you now not just all the stuff that's happened in my past but this is what I'm currently struggling with like I I get easily upset or whatever and then I'm telling them that and then they're saying okay I'm going to hold you accountable but then here's the thing with accountability um and I'll give you a story so our ladies at Mariah house they're all trying to eat healthy And so one lady asked another one like, don't let me drink anything other than water. And so then at dinner she went and got a cup of iced tea and the girl was like, I thought you said you don't want to drink that. And she was like, not right now. I don't want you to hold me accountable right now. (laughs) And I was like, and so I told her, I said, you can't ask somebody to hold you accountable and then put parameters on it. And say, well don't hold me accountable in this area. And I laughed about that, but then I compared that to our Christian relationships and we're the same way. Where we're saying, yeah, hold me accountable in my relationship with my boyfriend and then you ask them questions they're like oh well I don't really want to talk about that it's like okay then you don't want to be held accountable so you can't pick and choose if you're asking someone to get in your life and and know what's going on and speak into it then you've got to allow them to do that
3: I love your stories they're (laughs) great
1: well Jim yeah I agree um uh the leader's responsibility is uh, it, he sets the tone The the group will only go as deep as the leader goes mm-hmm. and um when a when a leader of a, of a group a discipleship group uh says uh, shares what's really going on not just the past but what's really going on right now where you struggle and opens up then um and then he says, and you say, here's what I'd like you to do to help me with this. Just ask me these questions. And and then the guys, uh, or the ladies, whoever, whoever you're with goes, okay, so we're going to go there. Mm-hmm. We're going to go that deep. And you got to go first. And, you know, which means you have to be willing to get hurt. Because if you share, it, it could make it out of that, that room. But again... Yeah. Uh, You know, as Arianna said, you set the appointment, but you also set the boundaries. Here's what I expect. Here's what I expect. And let's set the parameters, because most of these people don't know what real relationship looks like. They they got relationship handed down to them uh, from their parents, from other places that weren't very safe and all that. So they're just going to reproduce what they've learned to live in. So what we have to do is say, here, here's, here's what we're going to do. Here's what I expect from you. And then you have to hold them accountable. Um, I'm going to say in our group, you're not going to share what we say outside of this group. If I hear that you did, I'm going to say, hey, I love you, but that, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you defend or you continue to do it, then you're just not going to be in the group. Because we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna have a safe group here. So, you, you know, the Scripture says, confess your sins one to another. Again, that's appropriate. The, the, the more somebody is faithful, the little, the more you give them. So you need to make sure that mm-hmm. that you share at one level here and you share at another level here, depending on the faithfulness of that group. But if you won't share anywhere, then, then there, there's issues. And again, the kinds of disciples you'll make will be those that just stay surface and and don't really go deep, which means that they're isolated. Mm -hmm. The devil loves to play in the secret, he loves to get you isolated. And you're right, we have Jesus, but Jesus supplied power that comes through relationships. We carry one another's burdens. Mm -hmm. Part of how God strengthens us and helps us is that we confess our sins and then we have believers that actually help us. There are some Mm -hmm. things that I can't, I'm supposed to carry my own weight, but as best I can, but some things are too heavy for me to carry. That's why we help carry each other's Mm -hmm. burdens. And so we do it together, but you've got to set that, you've got to hold that line, you've got, to, you've got to protect that because the enemy's going to try to break it up and people are going to go back to old patterns and you have to fight for that culture and and, and continually, yeah. in
3: love, say this is where we're going. But Diedrich Bonhoeffer had a saying uh, in his little book, Life Together, uh, where he said that your sin wants to be alone with you. Mm. And the, the, the idea was that Satan will try to convince you that you and Jesus can handle your yes. sin yeah. and you don't have to let anybody else in on it. And you can just take your problem and nobody really needs to know mm. and you can confess it and then you can, then you'll do it again and then you'll mm. confess it. But you're, you're chained to it. And what are some of the things that you've found in helping people uncover? uncover these sins that they're ashamed of, uh, that dominates them, and that they just plan on not changing, and then just hopefully God will change it when they go to heaven.
2: Yeah. Um, Well, some of the things that I guess some of the women share at Mariah House is you know, just some sin patterns that they've seen them in their lives over and over again. And I think what happens is once they've had that time, this is an equation we use at Mariah Houses, time plus truth equals trust. And so that time that they get with us, and it's a live-in facility, so they see us all day long, and we have a night staff. So they see us every single day, and then we're sharing truth with them, and then they're starting to trust us. And so once they start to trust us, then we can actually say, okay, what's that one thing you don't want to talk about? Mm-hmm. or or this is something that i'm seeing in your autobiography cuz we have them write that out this is something i'm seeing but you haven't wanted to talk about this yet you know is there there's a reason for that but i think you have to have that time built up Um, And and you have to know that truth has been shared over and over again, and then the trust comes. And we tell them that with their families, too, because, you know, they'll come in and they'll say, well, my family should just trust me because I'm here. And I was like, well, honey, this is the fifth time you've been in a recovery program. Like, it's probably not going to work like that. (laughs) Like, they need to see that you're committed, but I feel like people are so afraid to share their hearts because they've been um, taken advantage of so much, and, and they don't know who they can trust and so if they know that you're consistent and you're always going to be there and what you say is always truth then they they have that trust and they're able to share those hard things Um, and then they get to see how God can redeem and how God can change and how God can forgive and and Mm -hmm. and give them new life outside of that sin struggle
1: yeah I I would say discipleship uh, is like a plane with two wings um, part of what you offer people, uh, part of what Jesus offers people is a, is a real family mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. in Christ. But but it's also a mission. So one of the problems I have with, when you go too far on the mission side, it's, I gotta take you through a process, you gotta go through the curriculum, you gotta go through the stuff so that you can go off and, and disciple somebody else, right? Um, and, and we, we mission is what matters most. Then you got people with the other side of the wing, and it's relationship matters most. And we're just going to do life together, and we're going to be like this, this worm. And cousin, I finally found a home. I finally found what I was always looking for, a church family. And we're going to be this holy huddle and family for the rest of our life. Forget mm-hmm. all those people out there that need Jesus because they need to go find their own family.
3: That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. It's
1: both, both tensions on both sides. Which is why... If you know that part of why they act the way they act is because of deep hurts and sins that are, that are under there, and it takes time to get to know them and where they trust you and there's consistency, tell what what's been, they've been hiding and isolating on and, and too ashamed to speak of and what they've done or what they feel. If you're just going through a program, you never get to what's really going on in there so that it stays hidden. And so they might know a bunch of stuff, and they might even know how to lead a group and do a safe group, but they're not safe themselves, because and so the devil still got it. And so that's why relationship is so important. You don't just go through a program. You might have been through the content. You might know all the stories, but there's still something going on in your life that's unhealthy and God, God doesn't have yet. So just because you've been through the program, it's not time for you to take off and go, yet. Yeah, not until we really start to deal with some of this stuff. A lot of the people I know, though, once they start seeing where you're willing to go, they give it up. Yes. Depends on what you give up. See, I've done, yeah. I've given, I've done enough stuff that's just so bad <laughs> that I can make them feel good about themselves yeah. in about two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. And now they're like, whoa, he went there. Okay, well, I'll just tell you what I got going on. All yeah, right, now, yeah, yeah. now we can, we can yeah. talk. And by the way, from them, they're going, well, I got him where I want him, so I guess I'm safe because I got blackmail material if he tells my stuff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right? So, you know, if you want to play the game who's worse, I win, usually. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some that get me, but yeah. I win. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to be honest. Okay, we're going to be honest. All right, now let's let's confess this and how's that working for you? And that's that's directing your identity and yeah. that's directing where your life is. And 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 sometimes uh, they get they give it up so quick and they're free. They're like they, they, they're like, Wow, okay, Jesus loves me, you love me whoa, and something miraculous happens and they're willing to give it up and now you, can, you, can, you don't even have to get through the whole program. They got it. They'll get there. You know, you just go to make a disciple, right? But you know the ones that have the hardest time with that are people that are religious, Christians. They're so shaped by surface and afraid to say anything. The, un, the non-Christians actually, for me, tend to grow faster because they'll just confess it, whereas Christians... Because of the shame and all the stuff, they won't give it up, so it haunts them. Mm -hmm. What they did and the shame and the guilt or the pride, you know, they did it. Whatever, however it works. The self-absorption haunts them. The devil has it, and they go to church for years, Mm -hmm. and they're trapped.
0: Well, that wraps up today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it and I hope that it helped you like it did me by inspiring me and exposing some areas where I'm weak as a leader. So I hope that I did the same thing for you and that you will continue to push forward and grow as a leader and as a disciple maker. As always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it. And again, check the show notes. There's a link in there for digital access pass to watch the main sessions from the 2021 national sample making forum. All right, y'all have a great day and I'll see you on the next episode.